reading the first of the Svarim of the Prophets, this is in continuation of where the Tyra leaves off. The Tyra leaves off at the end of Sefer Dvarim, at the end of Deuteronomy, the Tyra leaves off with the death of Maisha, with the Petira of Maisha Rabbeinu, and the Jewish people on the borders not yet go, having gone into Eretz Yisrael, and Sefer Yeshua opens up where the Chumash closes. And this is immediately suggested to us in the very first word of Sefer Yeshua. Vayahi, and it was. And the Vav of Vayahi is a word that is used to signify continuity, to add on to uh, information that came before. So, Vayahi, Achrei Mois Moshe, and it came to pass after Moshe's death. So, we're continuing from the Chumash straight into the next moments in the history of Klal Yisrael. So, let's see the Pasuk. Vayahi, Achrei Mois Moshe, Eved Hashem, and it was after the death of Moshe who was the servant of Hashem, Vayayma Hashem el Yeshua ben Nun, Hashem said to Yeshua ben Nun, Mishares Maisha, who was the, the Shamus, who was the one that served Maisha, Lamer, this is the following thing that Hashem said to Yeshua. Now, before we go any further, it's worthwhile to go over the Pasuk step by step and to see what is going on here. Now, the assumption is that we know where we're at, okay? We know that Moshe's die has passed on, that there was Petiras Moshe has taken place because we learned the Chumash. So the first question that comes up is why, in order to get the story of Yeshua going, which basically is that Hashem is going to tell Yeshua, Yeshua, it's time to go into Eretz Israel, gather your forces and enter Eretz Israel. Why does the Navi have to reiterate the fact that Moshe died? Why couldn't the Navi simply begin, and Hashem said to Yeshua, pick yourself up and go into Eretz Yisrael? Why does the Navi have to review the fact that Moshe died? This is a question that the commentaries ask. And the commentaries basically say, that what the Pasuk is stressing is that as long as Moshe was alive, two things could not take place. One thing that couldn't take place is that there was no way in the world that Yeshua would be able to lead the military forces of Klal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael while Moshe was still alive. Moshe was the leader of the generation. He was considered the head of the army as well of Klal Yisrael, and for Yeshua to lead an army into Eretz Yisrael in the lifetime of Moshe would be inappropriate. Number two, the entire advance of Klal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael could not take place in the lifetime of Moshe because Moshe was restricted from going into Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, as long as Moshe was alive, Jewish history could not move forward in regards to Yeshua becoming the general and entering the land of Eretz Yisrael. So therefore the Navi says, and it, when Moshe 
was Nifter, when Moshe died, so then Yeshua was able to become the general and lead the forces into Eretz Yisrael, and we as a people would be able to enter Eretz Yisrael. It was only after the death of Moshe that this could take place. In the lifetime of Moshe, this would not be allowed to take place. So this is the first thing that the Mepharshim say. Now, the next thing here that is interesting, so we know now why it says, and after Moshe's death. The next thing that it says here is, Eved Hashem. And after the death of Moshe, Eved Hashem, the servant of Hashem. So the Malbim asks an interesting question. The Malbim says that Moshe Rabbeinu has... Is, is not alive anymore. So to refer to Moshe Rabbeinu as the Eved Hashem after his death is not correct. He's not an Eved Hashem anymore. He's an Elam Abba. He's in the world to come and he's receiving tremendous spiritual rewards, but he's not the Eved Hashem anymore. So why does the Navi refer to Moshe after his death as the Eved Hashem? So normally when you look at this, you'd say, ah, come on, it's not a question. It means Moshe, yeah, he, now he died. But Moshe, who in his lifetime was the Yavad Hashem. That's how you would get around it. Well, the Malbim doesn't like getting around things like that. And the Malbim says a phenomenal answer to this question. The Malbim brings a teaching of Chazal that say, Kishem she'oimed amad Moshe b'chayev u'mesharis l'fnei Hashem kach la'acha Moshe. The same way that Moshe served Hashem during his lifetime, Moshe Rabbeinu served Hashem after his death. This is what Chazal say. He was an Eved Hashem after death. So the Malbim says, what is this supposed to mean? So the Malbim says like this. He says, there are two kinds of tzaddikim. And we spoke about it this Shabbos. There's one kind of tzaddik that is busy all life long with what we call in English self-development. I want to grow, I want to, if you know the Yiddish term for it, I want to steig, I want to become big, etc., etc. Very virtuous. We should all want to grow and know how to grow. Very virtuous. But the person that preoccupies himself with personal growth, and only personal growth during his lifetime, when he dies, it's all over. There is nothing that continues afterwards if a person only worries about own personal growth. However, the Malbim says, a tzaddik that gives off time, energy, talent, and guts to what? To, to help other people and to teach other people. So that's a person that even after his death, he still serves Hashem. He's still in Eved Hashem. And the Malbim says, how is that? So the Malbim says it's very simple. If in one's lifetime one touched a person, and because of the way that you touched or influenced the person during your lifetime, the person continues doing mitzvahs after the death of the Rabbi, so then every mitzvah that's done in Shemayim is considered like that the Rabbi is doing the mitzvah at that moment. That's what, that's, that's what the Malbim says. And therefore the Malbim says... Doesn't refer to Ever Hashem that he was in Ever Hashem during his lifetime. No, it's Achrei Meisay. Meisha already is not alive. 
But in Eved Hashem, he remains. This is what the Malbim says. A lot to think about. So, Vayhi Achrei Mois Meisha Eved Hashem. Now, before we go further, it's most probably also worthwhile to mention the definition that the Radak gives us over here of what qualifies as an Eved Hashem, a servant of Hashem. Parenthetically, the word Eved is very often translated in English into the word slave, which coming from American history has very negative connotations. The reality, though, is that an Eved in, in, in the terminology of Tyra, in the terminology of Tyra, has no relationship to quote-unquote the American history slave. It certainly doesn't. And when we talk about an Eved Hashem, a servant of Hashem, it is the highest possible title that one can bestow upon a Jew. Now, why is it that the highest possible title that you can bestow upon a Jew is to call him an Eved Hashem, a servant of Hashem? So the Radak says, the Radak says, what is an Eved Hashem? So the Radak says like this, I'll quote the Radak. It's a very beautiful thing, the Radak, and I'll quote the Radak. Misha Sam Kol the Kavanasai, a person who is an Eved Hashem, a person that puts his entire strength and his entire focus in life and all of the things that he pays attention to, he's all, everything is focused on how he can serve Hashem and Hashem's will. And even when he's involved, the Radak says, in the mundane matters of normal day-to-day physical existence, they are also with the focus and intent of being able to better serve Hashem. Now, what is this definition of the Radak? What does this, what does this mean? What is the Radak talk, speaking about? What the Radak is saying over here is that the definition of an Eved Hashem is selfless and total dedication to serving Hashem's will. Where a person doesn't say, listen Hashem, I'll give you a couple of hours. Okay, I'll subcontract my life to you. No, that's not an Eved Hashem. An Eved Hashem is, I am at your disposal. I don't have like a piece of life that's for me and Hashem, stay out because this is the space that I need for myself. I am totally at your disposal. Now, the reality is that if you think about the definition, when you think about the definition of the Radak, there are a couple of important points that come up from this definition of the Radak. First of all, we just got finished explaining the Malbim. The Malbim makes a very logical commentary about how it's possible for a person, even after death, to be serving Hashem. Why? Because if I was the influence to the, to the mitzvahs this person is doing, so there are my credits, so it's as if I'm doing the mitzvahs right now. That's a very logical definition. But if you want to take it one step deeper, one could say it like this. What does an Eved Hashem mean? An Eved Hashem, in the definition of the Radak, is where a person doesn't retain, so to speak, his own isolated, segregated space outside of being totally at Hashem's disposal. Therefore, since an Eved Hashem is totally given over to Hashem, so then the human being takes on the quality of eternity. 
He takes on the quality just like Hashem is Kayom Ad, the same way that Hashem has eternity. So to the degree that a person doesn't reserve himself but gives him over, himself over selflessly, the schar, the reward that comes back measure for measure for the dedication to Hashem is that I take on the qualities of Hashem in a certain sense, obviously not totally, but therefore I get, I get hooked into the whole concept of eternity. So therefore, once a person is an Ever Hashem, there is no, dist- in other words, death doesn't phase what the person has acquired for himself in that selfless dedication to Hashem. The person has bought into eternity by this selfless dedication to Hashem. Now, there's a second point that comes out of this. And the second point that comes out of this is a monumental concept that we'll speak about a lot in this parak, And that is, what is the definition of a leader in Klal Yisrael? What does it mean to be a leader of the Jewish people? What the Torah is telling us straight off, what the Navi is telling us from the very, very outset of Navi, is that the concept of a leader is a person that is nothing more than an extended arm of Hashem. It's not like in American, in American government and in the American way of life that he's voted and brought into office by the people and he represents the people and the desires and the rights of the people, etc., etc. No, 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 no. The power of a Jewish leader is because in the personality and spiritual level and development as a person, there is such a selfless dedication to Hashem that HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaks through the, through the manhig. And then the manhig, the leader, is nothing more than an extended arm of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, I don't mean that in any kind of way of worship. That's not what I'm talking about. It shouldn't be confused with that. But what I'm saying is that the more selfless a leader is in his dedication to Hashem, the more that he will truly in his leadership be representative of the leadership that Hashem wants him to lead his people with. In other words, if a person has his own axes to grind, and he's got his own career and his own political future, etc., etc., so it's very conceivable that he will lead his people in a way that's beneficial to this career that he's developing for himself. But if a person... But a qualification to be a leader in Klal Yisrael is to what degree... Do you not live for yourself and only live for Hashem? The more that a person lives for Hashem and not for himself, the more he becomes qualified to be a leader for Klal Yisrael. That's the first thing. That, that's a second point that we see in this concept of Ever Hashem. Now, the Pasuk continues and the Pasuk says, Vayayma Hashem el Yeshua ben Nun and Hashem comes to Yeshua ben Nun and speaks to him. A first critical prophecy to Yeshua and he's Meshareis Maisha, who is the servant of Maisha, and he says, and Hashem says like this, Lema. Now here too we learn a very interesting thing. You know, the Torah wants to. We're in transition. Maisha has passed on. Yeshua is the next leader. Right. So seemingly we should be introduced to Yeshua. And we should be given a big pitch about what his political history was 
and, you know, and his political class and how many bills anti-tax, pro-tax. I mean, say something about the individual. So the Navi does say something about the individual. The Navi says his qualification was he was the Shamus of Moshe. That's his qualification. Now there is a phenomenal lesson in this. A phenomenal lesson in this. What's the phenomenal lesson in this? Normally, when people come into leadership roles, the way that they get into leadership roles, or at least the way they lie themselves into positions of leadership, is that they say that they're going to be better than the leader that came before them. Change. New vistas. New dimensions. New this, new that. New agendas. So on and so forth. So the normal progression of leadership in the world is you have to be able to show how you're going to be better than what came before you. If you're the same as what came before you, and if you try to replicate what came before you, forget it. Your old hat. Who needs you? We need something new with flair, with new approaches. If they make sense or not, is irrelevant. But new approaches, something new. Something new. Change. That's what you need. And the Torah says a second qualification for leadership. The first qualification is selfless dedication to Hashem. The second one is that you get your lessons in leadership not from tomorrow, but from yesterday, from the leaders that came before you. In fact, there is a very beautiful Pasuk in Shir Hashirim that says, what does this mean? So Chazal say, the literal translation of this is, if you don't have a knowledge to be able to find those beautiful women, go and look at the footsteps of sheep. Now that's cryptic. Now what on earth is that supposed to mean? Right? So Chazal say like this, if you live in a generation that these beautiful leaders don't exist, there's a lot to say why they're called Yafa Banashim. Why are they symbolized in women? But that's not for now. If you live in a generation where you don't have beautiful leaders, so what do you do? You don't have them. So the Tyrus, the Navis, the Shirashim, Shlaima Malach says, Go retrace the steps of the leaders that came before you. In other words, if you want, in other words, if you don't have a guide living today, so how how will you get your guidance? So look at the imprints, look at the footsteps of the leaders that came before. Why is this true? What Judaism is against change? Like what what is this? We're not progressive. We we're not broad-minded, we're not open. Why is it that we're always looking backwards instead of forwards? Like, what is this all about? But the answer is very simple. The answer is because in Judaism, the highest moment in Jewish history was Kabbalah's HaTayra, was the receiving of Tayra at Har Sinai. That was when the Jewish people reached its pinnacle. So since we reached our pinnacle in Kabbalah satire, from then on, what we try to model ourselves after is to return to that pinnacle. 
Returning to that pinnacle means to study the ways of the leaders that were closer and closer to Harsinai. Not further and further away from Harsinai, but the ones that were closer and closer. And therefore, when the Torah wants to say, what is the greatest qualification of Yeshua? You want to know what the greatest qualification of Yeshua to be a leader is? Mesharis Moshe. He, he was a Mesharis of Moshe. He lived by Moshe. He, he, knew, he, he knew he was a Mesharis of Moshe. Moshe received the Torah, and Yeshua lived in the house of Moshe. So there's nobody that's a better leader than somebody that lived in the house of Moshe. That was the Shamus of Moshe. Chazal also tell us, yeah, our sages also tell us another interesting point. Yeah? Our Chazal, just take it off the hook. Our Chazal, our Chazal tell us another interesting point. Our Chazal tell us <coughs> that from here we learn another thing. We learn Gadol Shimusha Yaisa Milumuda, which is a very interesting thing. What does this mean? Gadol Shimusha Yaisa Milumuda means like this. Normally, how do we understand a relationship to a teacher, to a rabbi? How do we understand it? Huh? The way we understand it is he has knowledge, he has experience, hopefully. One of the two or both. Right? And therefore, if he has this, this, this to offer, say, and I need it, so it's, a, you know, it's an exchange of goods and services. Very simply. So Chazal say that as much as a person can learn from a teacher... He can learn much, much more from being a shamus to the teacher. There's book knowledge. There's the knowledge that a Rebbe can transmit that is book knowledge. Insight into psukim. But then there's a whole other thing. The wisdom integrated into life. How do you live out all of the wisdom of life? That you don't learn from books. That comes from watching people in action. So it doesn't say that Yeshua became the leader because he was the greatest disciple of Moshe. It says that Yeshua became the leader because he was the Shamus of Moshe. Which means he served him a cup of coffee in the morning. He sat around. He, he listened to how he, how he addresses people, how he addresses the news. In other words, all of the other things that go into, into a day. So the qualification is not being the disciple, though knowledge is a critical component of leadership, but shimushai. Shimusha meaning living in the, in the day-to-day surroundings to be able to see how the wisdoms become integrated into life. <clears throat> Let's continue. So Hashem says to Moshe like this, Moshe Avdi, to Yeshua, the second passage, Moshe Avdi Meis, Moshe, my servant, has died. Again, reiterating the same point. Va'atah and now, kum avoyer es hayarding, get up and cross the yarding. In other words, Yeshua, you don't have to feel held back in any way. Yeshua's reign and leadership is over. Now, your calling and mission comes into, into focus. Get up and cross the yarding. Atah, you, the Chola Amazan, this entire nation, 
El Ha'aretz, to the land, Asher Anaychi Naisen Lahem Lebnei Yisrael, to the land that I will give to Klal Yisrael. Now what's going on here? What does this mean? So first of all, the Alshech teaches us, you're going to get a whole panorama of Mepharshim. I take on every Pasuk the things that I like the most. All right? So the Alshech says over here like this. The Alshech says, why does it say you and all the people? So the Alshech says that first of all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was acclimating Yeshua to a position of leadership. In other words, and this is also another quality of leadership. The best leaders in Klal Yisrael are not the ones that run to the Amid. The ones that always run to be on the top. Very often the best leaders that Klal Yisrael ever had were the ones that never felt worthy enough and had to be pushed and urged and shoved into positions of leadership. The person that's waiting for the other leader to die so that he can take over, those leaders never added up to anything in Klal Yisrael. So Yeshua really didn't feel comfortable with leadership, of being singled out as a leader. I'm much more comfortable just being one of the boys. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, that's not the time now. Now it's the time to be a leader. And we're going to see how HaKadosh Baruch Hu acclimates Yeshua to this. And therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu says very clearly, no, 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 you're not one of the boys. It's Atah. You have to go Beresh. You have to go and you have to lead them. It was important for Yeshua to accept upon himself the role of a leader. It's not a favor in leadership to say, no, 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 I'm not a leader, I'm just one of you, but I'll tell you what to do. No. In, in real leadership, and if that's the calling, and if that's what a person is destined to, he has to take it with, hum- with, with humility, but he has to know that he's Beresh. He has to know that he's leading. He has to know that. So HaKadosh Baruch said, The Alshech says another thing here that's very interesting. The Alshech says that even though Yeshua was not as great as Moshe, and we are not in the position of defining this, not that we know Moshe's greatness and not Yeshua's greatness, but don't think for a minute, the Alshech says, that Yeshua wasn't a great person. Yeshua in his generation was equivalent spiritually to the sum total of the rest of Klal Yisrael. This is what the Al Sheikh says. And therefore Hashem says, Now, what was Hashem saying? He was trying to boost Yeshua's ego. You know, you're equivalent to everybody else, sum total. Like, what was, Hashem, what was the purpose of that? I, the Al Sheikh doesn't explain this, but I think it's a very simple thing to understand that what Hashem was really telling Yeshua is that he has the capacity to lead them. If Yeshua would only be able to relate to some of them, and he would only have the spiritual qualities of some of them, so some he could understand, some he could advise, some he could lead, and others he wouldn't be able to. But if he is the sum total of all of the people, so then his heart is a heart that can really understand all of Kuala Yisrael. So it wasn't that Hashem was just trying to boost his ego. What HaKadosh Baruch was saying is that you're qualified. Because your heart encompasses spiritually the hearts of all of Klal Yisrael. And therefore you are uniquely equipped to, to lead them. So what do, what's the next thing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says? Come and take these people into the land that I am giving to, to Klal Yisrael. 
So the Malbim says here a very interesting thing. The Malbim says, and we're going to talk a lot about this, the Malbim says that normally when a person goes into a land and becomes a conqueror, what if some of the first things that a conqueror does? He names cities after himself. He takes the best chunk of land and he stashes it away for himself. Those are the two things. I conquered. It's mine. So I'll take the fat of the land and I'll name bridges and make statues and name cities after me. <laughs> I'm the meyuchas. You know, I'm the big shot here. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Yeshu, on the one hand, I'm telling you that you're a leader and you're Bereish, but don't think for a minute that it is you that is giving the land. It is not you that is conquering the land. It is I that is conquering the land. And don't think it belongs to you because you're leading them. It belongs to Klal Yisrael. It doesn't belong to you. This is what the Malbim says is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is acclimating Yeshua. You're, you're a leader. You're going to represent my desires to Klal Yisrael. You're going to advance them to the next step that they need to go. But don't ever think that in that capacity as conqueror that there is, now there is this, this self-gratification and aggrandizement and so on and so forth. No, 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 no. If Klal Yisrael gets Eretz Yisrael, it's because Hashem gave Klal Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael to Klal Yisrael which gets into a discussion that we're going to speak about a lot in later Prakin that military conquest always has a trapping in it because in military conquest those that are victorious can always buy into a philosophy that it's mine because I conquered it and that is a trefa concept it's a non-kosher concept in Yiddishkeit at the concept of the territorial conquest of Eretz Yisrael is Hashem's making us become recipients of Eretz Yisrael. Not because we exercise military prowess and military genius and we get Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is a direct matana, it's a direct gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Klal Yisrael. So this is what the Malbim says, an important point. Let's continue. Now, we're going to learn Pasuk Gimel and Pasuk Dalet together. The third and fourth Pasuk we're going to learn together in order to be able to appreciate what's going on. Wherever you're going to set your foot down, it's yours. Not a bad arrangement. Right? Not a bad arrangement. Today we can't relate to it so much because real estate is down. But, Wherever you're going to put your foot down, it's yours. Right? Like I spoke to Maisha. Like I spoke to Maisha. Where did Hashem say this to Maisha? Well, if you know your Chumash, which is the assumption if we're already in a Navi class, right? So it says in Parshas Ekev, it says in Parshas Ekev that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises Maisha that when we will go into Eretz Yisrael, wherever we will set down our foot, it will belong to us. Let's look at the next Pasuk. From the Midbar and the Levanin to Nahapras, the entire land of Chitim till the Yamagadol, Now I'm not going to translate this. Maybe you have maps, maybe you don't have maps. 
But this is basically the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. Now, there is an immediate problem here. We just got finished saying in the third Pasuk, wherever you put your foot down, it's yours. And then the next Pasuk gives boundaries to Eretz Yisrael. Like, make up your mind. Is anything that you want yours just as long as you set your foot down, or are there definitive boundaries to Eretz Yisrael? That's like, make up, make up your mind. Which is it? So, you might imagine that if it's a good question, it was already asked. And it was. And there are a number of answers to this question. The simplest and most straightforward answer to this question is as follows. The primary and, and first mitzvah in the conquest of Eretz Yisrael is in the definitive boundaries that are defined in the fourth Pasuk. In other words, the first priority in terms of Eretz Yisrael, of the, us getting Eretz Yisrael in this period of time, is within the boundaries of what constitutes Eretz Yisrael. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Mekadesh, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu sanctified and separated as Eretz Hakadosh. That is the first priority. Once that priority is fulfilled, wherever else the Jew sets down his foot and feels that it should also be annexed and be part of the property of Eretz Yisrael, it will take on Kedushas Eretz Yisrael. It will take on the holiness of Eretz Yisrael. But in that order, the Gemara, in that order, in other words, you, the, in fact, the Gemara tells us, the Talmud tells us, that there was a complaint, that there was a complaint against certain judges and leaders, that they went and they conquered things that were outside of the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael before all within the boundaries were totally conquered. And the way that the Chazal say it, the way our sage is saying is it, saying it, you don't even have your backyard yet, and you're going and you're conquering the other person's backyard. That's the language that Chazal used. But the point being, however, that in the reverse order, once you what, establish yourself within the definitive boundaries of Eretz Yisrael, then Eretz Yisrael is like a mother's heart that can extend itself out to more and more children. This is, this is what the Gemara, this is the interpretation of the Gemara. The Malbim learns a little bit differently, not in contradiction to the Gemara. You can't, a Malbim can't contradict the Gemara. But the Malbim wants to give another interpretation, another interpretation of this. And he says like this, If Moshe Rabbeinu would have been the one that would have taken his people into Eretz Yisrael, the conquering of Eretz Israel, the conquering of Eretz Israel, would have happened totally different than it, the way it's depicted in the book of Yeshua. The way that conquering Eretz Israel is depicted in the, in the book of Yeshua and Sefer Yeshua is that we went through certain normal means. However, God worked miracles within those normal means. Like it's not like we stayed home and all of a sudden everybody walked off Eretz Yisrael and we came in. We went to war. But many miracles happened within the context of war, within that, that natural framework of war. So the Malbim says, and this is not really based on the Malbim, it's based in other commentaries as well, that if Moshe Rabbeinu would have been the conqueror, then Eretz Yisrael would have been conquered the Nes Lamaila Minateva. 
It would have been conquered totally in a supernatural way. Which means there wouldn't have been conflict, there wouldn't have been confrontations, there wouldn't have been soldiers. It would have been something like we walk into Eretz Yisrael and for some reason everybody decided to leave, or something like that. Or they all decide that Saddam Hussein is going to drop chemical weapons, so they all leave because they're afraid, and the whole thing is a bubble mice, and in the meantime we walk in and we take everything out, something like that. Maybe even more fantastic than that, because that's also working with what we call normal today. That's the way it would have been. And this is what Hashem promised Moshe. So the Malbim says, even though Moshe Rabbeinu didn't go into Eretz Yisrael because of the sequence of events in Chumash, but Hashem made a promise that Eretz Yisrael would be conquered supernaturally. So the Malbim says like this, there are two areas of, to be conquered, within the definitive boundaries of Eretz Yisrael, and then all of the annexed places. So the Malbim says like this, if Klal Yisrael will be meritorious to what? To conquer all of that which is within the definitive boundaries, that will be a clear indication that the Jew standing in front of Hashem is a good one. We would not conquer the entirety of everything that's within the boundaries if our relationship is... Yeah, peace is yes, but the entirety of Eretz Yisrael within its boundaries we would not we would not conquer. However, if we do conquer everything that's within the definitive boundaries, that's a sign from heaven that our relationship with Hashem is good, is a healthy relationship, and then everywhere else where we desire to go and we have a need to go, we would conquer supernaturally. This is what the Malbim says. Essentially, what the Malbim Essentially, what the Malbim is defining over here is that there was a way for Klal Yisrael to recoup the level, okay, the level of their connection to Eretz Yisrael and the extension of the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael as it was promised to Moshe. Now, let's go a little bit further. All right, let's move a little bit further. Pasuk Nobody's going to stand up against you, Yeshua which basically means you are the leader to the day that you die. Nobody's going to stand up and try to usurp power from you or contest you. According to the Malbim, this means something else. Yeshua didn't only have to conquer the land. He had to do something else that would be even harder. He had to divide the land. So the Hashem promises Yeshua, don't worry, you won't be one of these fabulous conquerors and then left torn apart in how to divide it. Nobody will stand up and contest the wisdom of how you divide the land. Right? In your entire lifetime. That's number one. Number two. And the way that I was with Moshe, I will be with you. What does this mean? The way that I was with Moshe, I will be with you. So the Malbim says that what this means is a promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will have a spiritual bond to Yeshua as he had to Moshe. So the first thing that Hashem is promising Yeshua is that politically he's going to be an uncontested leader, a completely accepted leader. Number two, he will be totally bound up with Hashem spiritually on the same level 
that what? That Moshe was bound up with Hashem. Now, the Pasuk ends off, and the Pasuk says, Loi Arpacha Veloi Azveka. I will not weaken my gr- gr- hold on you, and I will not forsake you. So the Maldim says a very beautiful thing here. Arpacha means I will not weaken my grip. That is a reference to the promise of Yeshua always having the political power and the strength to lead. Because then you're talking about power and control, and the best way to express that you won't lose it, it won't become weakened. In regards to the promise of the spiritual bond, Hashem says, I will never leave you. The language of never leaving is a reference to leaving would be a reference to losing a spiritual bond. So is the confirmation of those two promises. I won't weaken your control and I won't forsake the intimate spiritual relationship between the two. Now, the reality is, the reality is before we go any further here, is that this promise did not come true. Right? If I would le- let the cat out of the bag and, and say to you that this promise did not come true in the lifetime of Yeshua. Our Chazal say that when it says it means that Hashem promised Yeshua that he would live to the same age of Moshe. That's also included in this promise. And if you look in the last chapter of Yeshua, which is a little bit peculiar to be speaking about tonight, but in the last chapter of Yeshua, he did not live to the age of Moshe. Yeshua died ten years younger than Moshe did. He died at 110. And the question that comes up is, what's with the promise? So an answer that's given to this is like this. We find in Moshe Rabbeinu's life a very interesting thing. We find in Moshe Rabbeinu's life that Moshe Rabbeinu never made a calculation at the expense of a mitzvah in order to extend his life. Hashem came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, you have to revenge Midian for what they did. I'm not going to go over it right now. It's an episode in the Chumash. And after you revenge Midian, then... That's your last mission on earth, and then you will die. Our Chazal tell us that Hashem was giving an option to Maisha that if he wanted to live longer, it was fine. But he would have to delay the revenge of Midian. That was fine. If he wanted to live, the Medrash says 10, 20, 30 more years, fine, no problem. But then you have to postpone the revenge. The revenge of Midian is your last act. And Moshe Rabbeinu made the choice that the revenge of Midian needed to be done and what had to be learnt from the revenge of Midian would be lost if it would be postponed and postponed and postponed. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, no. The best thing that I can do is demonstrate that the revenge of Midian is so important that even if there's personal and maybe even national calculations why I should postpone it, 
I'm not going to postpone it. And the very next day, Moshe Rabbeinu called up the forces for the revenge of Midian. This is the dogma, this is the picture of Moshe. What was so important? What was the rush? What was the rush? The rush was because people make differences between physical enemies and spiritual enemies. Oh, if you have a physical enemy on your border, immediately, meetings, call up the troops, it's a crisis. Low alert, high alert, medium alert. <laughs> and what happens if it's a spiritual danger? No, no physical danger. Everybody's comfy, cushy, no problems. But there's a spiritual danger. There will be an infiltration spiritually that will pollute the quality of Klal Yisrael. Next week, we will call a meeting when we should have a conclave to have a meeting about what to do about this crisis. In other words, in the mind of man, the only thing that is really crisis is physical. Spiritual crisis? No. You cluck with the tongue a little bit. It's terrible. What can we do about it? We'll discuss it. Moshe Rabbeinu knew that before Klal Yisrael go into Eretz Yisrael, where they're going to have horrendous neighbors, that if there's any complacency to spiritual enemies, that it'll mean the destruction of Klal Yisrael. And therefore, Moshe, before he left the world, said, the greatest lesson that I can teach them is that you don't delay reacting to spiritual enemies. You know, some people would ask the question, Moshe Rabbeinu, if you would live another 10, 20, 30 years, you would be a Rebbe for another 10, 20, 30 years. How do you even give up your life as a Rebbe for 10, 20, 30 years for the people? How do you do that? Even if you weren't interested in living any longer. But the people need you. So how do you give it up and right away run into Nikmas Midjan? Immediately went into Nikmas Midjan. Immediately we went into it. Now, how about Yeshua? Oh, it's a different story. Hashem said to Yeshua, Yeshua, your life's mission is the territorial conquest of Eretz Yisrael. Rid the country of all the negative forces and then your life is over. You've done what you were created to accomplish in life. So Chazal tell us that Yeshua postponed the territorial conquest of Eretz Yisrael. He postponed it. I'm not in a rush. I want to be around a few more years. I'm not in a rush. He postponed the territorial conquest. What was the end of postponing the territorial conquest? You know what the end of it was? The end of it was that Kal Yisrael developed a complacency to their neighbors and they learned from their neighbors and the entire book of Judges is replete with all of the transgressions of Kal Yisrael from the neighbors that they had earlier postponed conquering. The entire book of Judges are the episodes of how we were influenced by the neighbors that we had postponed conquering in the book of Yeshua. What's the connection? The connection is because if you're complacent and you're not in a rush, so then what kind of an imprint does it make on people? We'll deal with it some other time. From today saying, tomorrow you're learning from them. And the next day you're doing the same things that they're doing. So therefore, it wasn't possible for Yeshua's promise that Hashem gave him to come true. The promise that Hashem made to Yeshua, the way I was with Moshe, I'll be with you, 
Why was Yeshua meritorious of such a promise? Because Hashem saw in Yeshua that Yeshua was a carbon copy of Moshe. So to the extent that Yeshua is a carbon copy of Moshe, so the way I was with Moshe shall be with you. But the minute that HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that Yeshua deviated, that in some respect he wasn't the Talmud of his Rebbe, so then the promise of Kasha Hayisi and Moshe Eimach doesn't apply anymore. It doesn't apply. All to accentuate again the concept that we spoke about before. That the concept of leadership is not, no, no, I'll get a general outline from earlier leaders how you handle things. No! It's not general outlines. You can take the leadership of the diaries that came before us and you can follow it to the nth degree. To the nth degree. You make modifications and this and that and you doctor it up and you dress it up. That's already, then, then it's not the normal healthy transition of the way we look at leadership in Kali Yisrael. And this is the reason why the promise didn't come true. Let's move a little bit further. Chazak ve'ematz. Make yourself strong and strengthen yourself. Ki because it is you that will be the one that will help these people inherit the land of Eretz Yisrael, the land that I promised. Now, the Malbim here says a very beautiful thing. Hashem just said in the Pasuk before, don't worry, nobody's going to stand up against you, and I'm going to be with you like I was with Moshe. So Yeshua just got the biggest Rebbe's blessing possible. The Yevishter blessed him, said everything is yours, everything is going to go your way. So now what is he giving of a pep talk? Chazak ve'ematz. What's the pep talk all of a sudden? You walk out of a Rebbe that you believe in and he gives you a bracha. <laughs> what's left? What's, what's left? You got the bracha. <laughs> You're gliklich. Go, go dance a jig. What's this chazak ve'ematz? What's this pep talk? So the Malbim says a phenomenal thing. The Malbim says even when Hashem gives a bracha, listen carefully, even when Hashem gives a bracha, but a person has to make himself ready to accept the bracha. He has to prepare himself to be a vessel to accept the bracha. So if you go out of a bracha and you don't strengthen yourself and don't, you don't encourage yourself in what was told to you, okay, in what was told to you, then the greatest bracha will not come true, beca- not because it doesn't have a power of coming true, but because you didn't make yourself, pre- you didn't prepare yourself, you didn't do your part to receive it. So therefore, even when Hashem blesses Yeshua and gives them the world's brachas, still HaKadosh Baruch says, now that I gave you the brachas, pick yourself up. Chazak ve'ematz. Fashtarksech. Make yourself strong. Because if you don't make yourself strong, and you don't believe in yourself, and you don't make yourself a leader, so then all of the brachas that I gave you, even though they come from my mouth, they can't be chal ala adam. They can't rest on the person unless the person pushes himself to grow into the position. So it's a phenomenal lesson. It's a phenomenal lesson. It's a phenomenal lesson because very often the ones that thwart that the one, the one that thwarts our ability to be able to grow and to progress is not because Hakadosh Baruch who's not giving, but because we don't lift ourselves up to receive it. All bracha has to be chazak ve'ematz. 
after Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, we're coming into a whole new period of time. And we believe that we were, we were meritorious of Slicha, Mechila, Vakapara, and that there's a year of Bracha ahead of us. But the whole year of Bracha doesn't begin unless a person approaches this new time with Chazak Ve'amatz. Walk straight, walk tall, walk strong, be confident. In that the Bracha is Chal. The Bracha is Chal in that Chazak Ve'amatz. So that's the first thing. This is the way the Malbim learns. This is the way the Malbim learns. In another interpretation, the Malbim says that this Chazak Ve'amatz refers back to the political power that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Yeshua. In other words, I promised you uncontested control, but, okay, uncontested control, but you can't be a baby. You have to stand up and take the position. Chazak Ve'amatz. Okay, so he's linking it directly to the promise of what? Of what? Of uncontested control. Now let's look at Pasuk Zion. Rak However, or but, you must be chazak ve'amatz. And here it doesn't say just chazak ve'amatz. Be strong and strengthen yourself. It says chazak ve'amatz ma'oid. Why is it ma'oid? Which means very much. <coughs> so let's look what it says. Lishmar lasis avdi. That you should keep and do the Torah that I commanded to Moshe, my servant. Don't go, I'll toss him, yam and a smile. Don't go to the right and don't go to the left. And the Malbim says very interestingly, what's right, what, what does it mean to go to the right? To add on to the mitzvahs of the Torah? Become, becoming right-winged? And what does it mean going to the left? It means taking away? Yeah, becoming a leftist? Yeah. Don't do any of that. And then you will have success in all of the ways that you go. Now, we're going to come back to explain that a little bit more soon. But let's see what's going on over here. The Malvin explains over here an interesting thing, a very beautiful thing. What were the two promises that Hashem made to Yeshua? Uncontested control. And what was the second thing? Equal spiritual bonds to the ones that Moshe experienced as a leader with Hashem. So the Malbim says, the first Pasuk, Chazak Ve'amatz, and it doesn't say very much, it just says Chazak Ve'amatz, is what? To, in other words, make yourself strong to accept the blessing of uncontested control. How about when it says, Rak Chazak Ve'amatz Ma'aid? That's what Hashem is saying to Yeshua in order that he should be able to receive the second blessing. What's the second blessing? The second blessing is that you will have an equal spiritual bond that Moshe experienced as a leader. Oh, spiritual bonds, that's not enough, Chazak Ve'amatz. That's not enough, just be strong and strengthen yourself. That has to be Chazak Ve'amatz Ma'id. That has to be very, very strong. And how do you make yourself very, very strong to be able to experience the same spiritual bonds? There's only one way of doing it. Not by standing up straight. Lish merlasis kechal ha'shetziv avdi keep Taira Mitzvahs. That's the one way to... Talking about spiritual bonds, people have all kinds of funny ideas on how to make spiritual bonds. Yeah? The bottom line is spiritual bonds are made with Taira Mitzvahs. Period. There's no other way. Taira and Mitzvahs make spiritual bonds. Kashetzivcha Moshe Avdi. Now, the Malbim takes it one step further and the Malbim says like this. The Malbim says... Here we have two promises. Uncontested control and what? Spiritual bonds. Right? 
The Malav says, if you look at it really carefully, it's even more than just this needs strength and this needs very much strength. If you don't... I'm not going to contest with that. The Malbum says that uncontested control is also dependent upon the spiritual bonds being the way they were in the times of Moshe. In other words, the first promise will only come true to the extent that Yeshua addresses himself to prepare himself for the second. In other words, what were the two promises? Uncontested spiritual control and spiritual bonds. And each one needs Yeshua's preparation. So the Malvim says the one that is most critical for Yeshua to prepare himself for is the second. Because in the second you'll have the first. If you have an intimate spiritual bond to Hashem through Torah mitzvahs, then you'll be a leader. Then there's no problem. Then you'll have uncontested leadership. When won't you have uncontested lead? When won't you have uncontested? You'll have. When will you have contested leadership? If to begin with, your bond with Hashem is not what it's supposed to be. So therefore, the Malbim says that. A, and here again, we're getting another quality of leadership. We're learning another lesson in what qualifies in leadership. That if a person really wants to be a quality leader and have control, it's not buying airtime on television. A Jewish leader has uncontested control in measure and paralleling what his spiritual bonds to Hashem are. To the degree that he has spiritual bonds to Hashem and he's an extension of Hashem and he represents Hashem. So the same way that Hashem has uncontested control, the leader will have uncontested control. But to the degree that a person doesn't have that bond to Hashem, so then there will be contentions about his leadership and his leadership will be contested. <clears throat> now, the Malvim also points out that HaKadosh Baruch said to Yeshua, keep the Torah like I commanded Moshe. Like I commanded Moshe. Now the Malvim points out here something that's very interesting. Okay? And I'm saying this for a very specific reason. Yeshua was very intellectually advanced in Yiddishkeit. All right? Yeshua could have done all of the Torah mitzvahs being the, being the Talmud of Moshe and the Shamas of Moshe because he understood it. by he, he was by Moshe all the time. So technically speaking, when Hashem says, Yeshua, keep the Torah, Hashem doesn't have to say any more than that because Yeshua is totally familiar with it. He lived in the house of Moshe, so he understands Torah. Why does HaKadosh Baruch have to say to Yeshua, keep the Torah like I commanded Moshe? So it's peculiar. So the Malbim says that what HaKadosh Baruch was telling Yeshua was that ultimately you're to keep the Torah not because you understand it, but because there's a Messiah for Torah. Because there's a transmission of Torah. HaKadosh Baruch gave the Torah to Moshe on Har Sinai. The authenticity of Torah is in Har Sinai, not because you understand it. The truth of Torah is because it was at Sinai. The minute that a person positions himself, that I'm going to keep Torah, not because Sinai, what Sinai, what Sinai, makes sense to me, so I'm keeping Torah. No, 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 no. 
That's a way of keeping tired. And will you get rewards for mitzvahs? Most probably. But the spiritual bonds of being the same kind of leader as Maisha, no, 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 no. To be the same kind of leader of Ma- as Maisha, your connection to Tyre has to be because this is the Tyre that was given to Maisha, and you're keeping the Tyre because this is Tyre as Maisha. Again, that concept that the leader's power comes from the Tyres that come before him. Now, so according to the Malbim, it comes out that Yeshua says, okay, I'm not doing it because I necessarily understand that though that might help. I'm doing it because it's Tairas Maisha. That's what was given to the Dara before me. And if it was given to the Dara before me, that's enough of a reason to keep Taira. That's enough of a reason. Look what the Pasuk ends off with. So literally, not literally, what the commentaries say, what does Lamantaskal Ashatelech mean? That you should be successful in everything that you do. That's very nice, but that's not what the word Taskil means. The word Taskil, its root is Seichel, which means intelligence. So what does this mean? So that you should be intelligent in everything that you do. What's going on over here? What does this mean? So there's two ways of learning it, and they're both true. The first way of learning it is, is that when a person relies on his own intelligence, he will sometimes do stupid things. Period. Smart, 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 and you do stupid things. But if you don't rely on your own intelligence, but you rely on the Messiah, you can't go wrong. That's number one. Number two, you could say like this. The way that a Jew approaches Kiyama Mitzvah says that if it was given to Moshe, that's a good enough reason for me to keep it. But does that mean that I remain a dumb dodo for the rest of my life and I just follow blindly? No. The result of being prepared to follow Tyre because it was what was Nimsa Tamaisha, the end of it will be that you will become a spiritual giant in understanding Tyre. In other words, the person can have the idea, okay, I have to follow because it was given to Tamaisha. So for the rest of my life, I follow without understanding. No, it's not like that. The person that has the ability to follow because it was given to Maisha, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu give back to the person? What HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives back to the person is the true seichel to understand Torah. If you start off with the attitude, oh, the whole Torah is guilty until proven innocent, and now I will intellectually investigate it. Right? Then you, end, uh, like you will end up with stupid conclusions. But if you start off with a provisional trust and you move ahead to do it because of what was Nimsa it was given to Maisha, the end will be Lamantaskil. The end will be that you'll come to a Seichel. You'll come to, to really have an understanding of what Taira is, the spirit of Taira. The reason why this is, there are many reasons for this. Maybe I'll suggest one reason for it. If a person is prepared to put his ego aside, and to put all of his subjectivities and all of that stuff aside to serve Hashem so then, I, then he opens himself up to get the Seichel Hashem he opens himself up to get the wisdom of the way Hashem thinks not the way he wants to think but the way that Hashem does That's a re- because I open myself up I, let it, I put this to the side so I open myself up to receive it let's go on Pasuk Ches, just another few Pesukim don't let this Sefer Torah 
ever leave your side. This refers to the fifth of the five books, Mishnah Taira. Right. This is an answer to the ones that want to leave already. And you're supposed to learn Taira day and night. Now, isn't this a repetition of what came before? Isn't this a repetition of what came before? So the commentaries say, no, it's not a repetition. Before, listen carefully, before we're talking about learning the we're talking about what? Doing the mitzvahs of the Torah and protecting the mitzvahs of the Torah. What are we speaking about over here? Here we're, talking, uh, here we're speaking about learning Torah. And learning Torah in a way that it never leaves one's consciousness. Where I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to figure out things. I'm trying to plummet its depths. And here again, we have another phenomenal lesson in the qualities of leadership. And let me explain again. Let me explain again. A person becomes a leader, you know, he's busy. A leader is busy, right? So what would a from leader do? He's not going to skip mitzvahs. How do you skip mitzvahs? You have to put on tefillin in the morning. You have to daven. You have to do mitzvahs. So you do mitzvahs. And then when it comes <coughs> to learning Torah, when it comes to learning Torah, hey, listen, that's a le- scholarship is a luxury. I'm a leader. Scholarship's a luxury. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Yeshua, wrong. Of course you have to keep Torah mitzvahs. But you'll never be a successful leader if you consider scholarship as a luxury. You have to continue learning to be a leader. A person can say, hey, listen, I have to figure out this military maneuver. I've got to figure out this ambush. I can have my head full of taisvis and abayas and ravis and medrashim and chumashirs and mishnayas. I've got to figure out a war. So the Torah says, no, it's not like that. A leader in Klal Yisrael is going to be blessed if his head is full of Torah, not if his head is full of military maps. And there's an episode later on, which I'm not going to go into right now, but there's an episode later on, that the night before a very famous war that Yeshua had to fight, uh, he went all night planning for war. And the Gemara says on that night, he did not learn Torah. We're not talking about learning for a half hour in the morning. We're talking about Torah day and night. So he didn't learn. That night he didn't learn. And it wasn't, he wasn't twiddling his thumbs. He was open. He was up all night figuring out how to position his troops. So the next morning, in the dawn hours of the morning, he saw an apparition. He saw a tremendous vision in front of him. He saw a malach. He saw an angel. And the sword was... The sword, his sword was stretched out out of its sheath, pointed to Yeshua. And obviously Yeshua is deathly afraid. And Yeshua thinks that this is a spiritual angel of the, of the enemy. So he says, are you, are you an enemy or are you a friend? Who are you? So, the Malach says to Yeshua, he says, no, 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 I don't come from the enemy. You know what I come from? I come from your not learning Torah last night. I came now because last night you didn't learn. So another qualification for Jewish leadership is not the attitude, oh, I took my young leadership course and I know what I've learned what I need to be able to be a leader. My scholarship is over. Now it's time to teach others. No, 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 no. Quality leadership is Layamish Sefatay Azaismi Picha. All right.
Ki oz tatzliach estrachecha v'oz taskel. Then you'll have hatzlacha, and then you'll be able to approach everything with an intelligence. What is Hashem saying? You will never lose out because you filled your head with Tyre. You will never lose a war because you learned. You will never make a wrong move because your head was on a tesis or on a medrash instead of on the war. You will never lose. All right, we'll stop here. Yes? Okay. The second thing is a the second thing is a the second thing is a possibility. The second thing is a possibility. I would say like this. I would say like this. The second thing is a possibility. I mean, the most straightforward answer, if you don't want to be very creative, is simply to say that the Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest anaf. In other words, in his personality, there was nobody that had humility like Moshe. Right. So, therefore, in Moshe Rabbeinu, there wasn't this concern. If anything, if you've heard my Chumashiurim on Sefer Bamidbar, if anything, one of Moshe Rabbeinu's challenges was, challenges in life was that he was too much of an anaf. Too much of an anaf. And some of his biggest mistakes, the ones Meimariva, and not accepting leadership, came because he had undo anivus. Right? Yeshua wasn't of that level, and therefore there was more of a concern. Okay, now I'm going to give a provocative answer. Right? A, a more provocative answer to this. Right? After everything is said and done, after everything is said and done, Moshe Rabbeinu, in terms of what he gave Klal Yisrael as a leader, what would you say was Moshe's accomplishment and what was Yeshua's accomplishment? Moshe's accomplishment was Taira. Yeshua's accomplishment was Eretz Yisrael. Taira has built into it right, a, a, a protection for the one that wants it. That a person won't go off into arrogance and ego if he's looking for it. Not if he's not looking for it, but if he's looking for it. Eretz Yisrael has a big sakana of gaiva. It has a tremendous sakana of gaiva. Territorial conquest, Eretz Yisrael, has a tremendous sakana of gaiva. I don't think I have to say more than that. I think it's rather apparent. Eretz Yisrael has a tremendous trapping that Taira doesn't have. All right, we'll stop here. Um,